Welcome to episode 66 of the Talkin' Tato podcast, where we talk about everything related to Tato. I'm your host, Kelly. And I'm Dermot. What do you want to talk about Tato today? We're talking about Ulysses and James Joyce. Oh, I was convinced that this was a, a podcast about potatoes and their constituent products. Mm. Um, I don't think I used the word constituent right there. You didn't like my Tato bit? I'm worried that we might get into trouble with the Tato Corporation. Really? Yeah. I, it's, I think it's very used for parody's sake. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Hi, Tato. Please follow me on Twitter and don't sue us. All right. That's all legal and good now. You're right. This is really the Blooms and Barnacles podcast where we talk about everything related to James Joyce's Ulysses. But today we are doing an hour-long show about Leopold Bloom's potato, which seems like a very humble subject until you really dig into it and uh, you realize there's a lot more to his humble spud than you might think. Mm. But before that, we've got a little bit of business. First of all, we are a podcast. We're also a blog. Where can our listeners find our blog? At uh, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's right. And we just put up a new post in the blog version of Blooms and Barnacles. We have just started the sixth episode of Ulysses, Hades with a post called Ulysses and the Odyssey colon Hades, where we talk about... Hades. Do you care to elaborate? <laughs> it's uh, the uh, the funeral of Mr. Dignam. Uh-huh. And we talk about the, the parallels between Homer's Odyssey and this particular episode mm -hmm. of Ulysses. Yeah. Dermot's the artist of the podcast, and he did a little bit of artwork to go with that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's Mr. Bloom walking through Glasnevin Cemetery in Dublin. And I had a bit of fun with that. I was able to reuse an old art piece of art, art I did with a kind of a Homeric Greek hero or a villain on mm -hmm. a pile of skulls. And uh, Bloom is walking through that past the old mm -hmm. Celtic crosses mm -hmm. toward the Daniel O'Connell round tower in the distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any very keen-eyed Blooms and Barnacles fans will recognize the Greek warrior from this image from another bit of artwork Dermot used for the site. So... If you can figure out which blog post that goes with, go ahead and pat yourself on the back. All right. Dermot's also done some artwork for this podcast episode. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's the potato man. It's uh, Bloom's potato, uh, but in a more modern incarnation as Mr. Tato, the uh, corporate logo of Tato Crisps, beloved of all Irish people. If mm -hmm. you don't know who Tato is, then you left the country in the 1960s. Or you're there. not Irish. Or you're not Irish, yeah. No, that's, uh, Irish people are mad for Tato crisps. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and Tato is a brand. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not just mispronouncing the word potato. Correct. T-A-Y-T-O. <laughs> Which is why Dermot's worried they might <clears throat> sue us. There's even a theme park as well, very popular. There is a Tato theme mm -hmm. park. Well, Dermot, if somebody would like to see that artwork, your artwork for the Hades Post, or any of your other... Ulysses-related artwork, where can they find that? Also on bloomsandbarnacles.com. All right, and if you like what, what we're doing with our writings and our talkings and our drawings, you can contribute to the show by dropping a few buttons into our PayPal account. Uh, I don't think they accept buttons on PayPal, to be honest. Mm. But any uh, donations we receive really do help our show. And this week, we'd like to thank... Elizabeth Salerno and Thomas Davis. Thank you so much. Your donations will go a long way to supporting us in our work. Another fun thing we like to do is we like to ask a question of the month. We usually put this in our 
monthly newsletter, which is free and awesome, and you can sign up for that at... Bloomsandbarnacles.com. Right? It's a great alternative to social media. You get a lot of the same information you get on Facebook or Twitter, but it's all in one nice little bundle that you get every, get every month without Mark Zuckerberg looking over your shoulder. And you don't have to click reload every 10 minutes. That's true. Anyway, we like to put a question of the month in there, which, you know, to be honest, we did put on our social media too. But the last couple questions have been kind of fluffy, fun ones, just using your imagination. But this one we've actually asked our listeners and readers to interpret literature, which is what we do on the show. Uh, the question for April was, what is the significance of Bloom's potato? And we got some really interesting answers. So Rick said, as I understand it, Bloom treats it as a kind of talisman, a token of good luck. I've also read that the potato journeys from pocket to pocket, echoing Bloom's travels during the day. Yeah, and we're going to definitely cover some of those points in our show today. And Stephen says, I associate it with the other literary spud, Rabelais' Un Grand Potetre, what Nabokov's John Shade puns as the grand potato. Bloom is fondling the grand maybe. All of life and death's potentialities in his pocket as he walks around Dublin. And I really like Stephen's interpretation because none of that made it into my blog post or podcast. Connecting this. Rabelais to a potato in a pocket is excellent. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Aguinaldo says the potato is a pocket Ireland, an object that Bloom carries around, loses and finds, trades and thinks about all around the book. Bloom, Joyce are thinking about Ireland throughout through the potato. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Aguinaldo. Yeah, we definitely talk about the potato as a symbol of Ireland as well, which, you know, it's kind of a stereotypical symbol of Ireland. But, yeah. you know, the potato and Ireland's history are linked whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. So we will explore some of those, but not others, in our show this week. One more thing, if you're a longtime listener, you might remember our Bloomsday episode last year. We had a lot of fun putting that together. So we're going to do a sequel for our Bloomsday 2021 show. We would like to collect recordings of you. That's right, you, the Blooms and Barnacles listeners, recording your favorite parts of the book. So I will be launching a page on our site this week with more specific instructions. I'll be sharing that around our social media, as well as in our newsletter. But basically, we're going to collect five to seven minute recordings of your, yeah, listeners reading their favorite part of Ulysses. And we'd like you to record a little intro on that, telling us who you are and why you chose that. If you want to get more info, as I said, just keep an eye on our website. That'll go up later this week, which is the week of April 19th. We'll also be... Uh, giving more details in our newsletter, which you can sign up for right now, this very instant, unless you're driving, please pull over, at our website, blooms at andbarnacles.com, or on our social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook. We're pretty much the only thing called Blooms and Barnacles, so smash that search key. All right, without further ado, let's get into our topic today, which, as I mentioned, is... Potatoes. Yeah. All right, so we're going to actually reread some text from Calypso, so... In our last episode, Dermot had to read this big honking long page and a half thing. And he, he, he gave me this look like, why are you making me do this? So <laughs> this time around, it's only one paragraph and you've already read it. So this is from Calypso, Ulysses' fourth episode. Take it away, Dermot. On the doorstep, he felt in his hip pocket for the latch key. Not there. In the trousers I left off. Must get it. 
Potato, I have. Creaky wardrobe. No use disturbing her. She turned over sleepily that time. He pulled the hall door to after him very quietly, more till the footleaf dropped gently over the threshold, a limp lid. Looked shut. All right till I come back anyhow. Thank you, Dermot. What are your thoughts? It just sounds like straightforward. Like he's fumbling around for all of his stuff. He's going out. Problem with the key. I think that'll be a plot point in the later part of the book. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he thinks the keys and the trousers he's left somewhere else. Mm -hmm. God knows where. Um, in, the, in his wardrobe. Oh, is that it? Oh, yeah, sorry. he okay. doesn't want to go back and, and change his... Okay. I mean, really, he doesn't want to go back up because he's really Jonesing for a kidney. Right. But... So if he goes but, back up, he'll creak the wardrobe, mm -hmm. he'll wake her up, mm -hmm. she'll probably get angry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he, it's more important to go out quietly. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, come back in here. And he's happy because he has his talisman, he's got his, his potato. Yeah. yeah. We're going to, fo yeah, you're right. We're going to focus on about three words of this. I just wanted it in context. Potato I mm -hmm. have. So this isn't the first time you've read it by a long stretch. You, you knew the potato was coming. Yeah. Um, we've been working on this section for a while in the blog. So when you first read this and you're really thinking about it now and you see potato I have in there, what what is your reaction to that? If we didn't know already that this was a part of the book, Amity, you know, you'd explained it, I would read that and go, potato I have. It would mean nothing to me. Yeah. I would have no idea that like he's padded his pocket, that he's gone through his stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would have to like really, really work at that and it probably wouldn't be worth it to figure it out so I'm assuming you come back to it in future pages and mm -hmm. pages and you go oh, okay the potato yeah my feeling the first time I read this years ago was I got that he was like rifling around trying mm -hmm. to find his key right because he felt in his hip pocket for the latch key not there uh potato I have so I I think I got that he had a potato but it certainly begs the question why does he have a potato yes where did he get it? And, uh, you know, I think really my feeling was like, that means something, mm -hmm. but I don't know what. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like James Joyce was going to put a potato in his pocket just for the hell of it. Yeah. So let's focus on that potato. Well, actually, before we do that, let's focus on that latch key, which you're right, becomes a, a plot point later in the book. So Bloom steps out of the door on his way to the pork butchers to buy a kidney, knowing that his latchkey is upstairs. However, so he's he's changed his pants because he's going to a funeral later on, which you've read about a mm -hmm. little bit now. And like everyone in the world has done at some point, you change your pants, but you didn't take everything out of them. Oh, yeah. You have like a usual pair. Mm -hmm. And he put on the special pair of funeral, black funeral pants, and he left his key and the other pants. And he's going out being like, oh, those are my other pants. And I think he's probably thinking at this point, I'm just going to nip around the corner, going to get that kidney, I'll come right back, no harm, no foul, and I'll remember to get it. But what actually happens is he ends up talking to Molly about metempsychosis and uh, forgets a second time, which I can relate to very, very much. Interestingly, though, he has remembered to move the potato to his funeral pants. Hmm. Now, I suppose it's because a potato is a much bulkier object. If you just, you know, brush your hands over, you're like, oh yeah, there's a potato, but maybe you missed the key. But I, I think it's worth noting that, you know, such an, a peculiar and impractical object he has chosen to carry while a very necessary object has been left off. Hmm. Not once, but twice right. as the book progresses. 
leaving the key off is a thematic overlap with Steven. So at the end of the first episode, Mulligan and Haynes go swimming at the 40-foot, but Steven, who is very hydrophobic, doesn't want to bathe. So he heads off to Mr. TZ's school. Filthy, filthy when you think about it. He, he refuses to bathe. Hmm. He, he's at this hoity-toity school. <laughs> smelling awful, I'm sure. But as he walks away, Mulligan asks him to, to leave the key. And that's the moment when uh, Buck Mulligan, who's our Homeric suitor stand-in, he's Antinoa stand-in, uh, usurps Stephen, a.k.a. Telemachus's home. So that these are kind of parallel moments. So this Calypso, this fourth episode, occurs at the same time as T- Telemachus, that first episode. Right. And so both Stephen and Bloom, because they're two aspects of our Joycean hypostasis. We did a podcast about that called Who is That Dan Ockham Fellow Anyway? Mm. Go listen to that. I'm not talking about hypostasis ever again. But they are they're two aspects of one whole. So you see them they're they're actions parallel and this this is an example of that right so let's focus on that potato and this question why would a grown man carry around a dried out old spud so bloom at different points in the book we're gonna divert quite a bit from calypso in this one because the as one of our listeners mentioned the potato occurs throughout the book and in calypso it really only gets that three word line that we covered so there, there's not a whole lot there other than to say he took the potato, but he left his key? Mm. All right. Bloom, anyway, he refers to his potato throughout the book as an heirloom and also as a talisman. Stuart Gilbert, a very early um, reading guide author, referred to it as Bloom's mascot, which I thought was fairly adorable. But it might more appropriately be termed an amulet, which is a, an object that has been charged with some kind of magical protective power. I believe the distinction between amulet and a talisman, this is only interesting to me, but an amulet protects you, a talisman repels other things, hmm. I think. I thought a talisman brings you luck. It's to draw down. Oh, like, okay. Um, then it's the other way around. You. Amulet repels talisman. Toward. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So in other words, the words aren't, um, you know. They're s- not the same synonyms. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. They're, they're... It doesn't really matter, though. Bloom sees it as a talisman, and yes. that's, as yeah. as we progress, We'll see, he doesn't always get the definitions of words quite right, and that's just part of his charm. So, I am, what I do want to convince you of, Dermot, and all of our listeners, is that the potato actually does possess a, a protective spell around it, and does indeed function as a, a protective item. It, basically, it works. The potato works. In the book, or in re- the real world? In, in the book. Okay. Because I was just thinking of getting one. A potato? Yeah, I've got a small one that'll be too small to cook. I could carry it around. <laughs> you could. Then you know, that, say... we should start doing that. That could be a thing. All, all like a secret society of bloomers could walk around. That, with potatoes. that sounds like yeah. I wonder if all those guys on Bloomsday in Dublin have a, a potato, like mm. a dried up potato. At least one of them does. It, it makes me think of, and I had an onion tied to my belt, as was the style at the time. And a potato in my pocket. I don't want to get lost. All right. So here's here's sometimes when the potato reveals its pre- it uh, reveals its presence in Bloom's pocket just when he needs protection. He's got this potato all the time, but he only acknowledges it and usually is doing something to protect him. So in the eighth episode, Lestragonians, Bloom is heading into the National Museum to ogle the bums of uh, Grecian statues, and he sees bum 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 blazes boiling coming up the street. 
and he, I, I don't have the line written down here, but he acknowledges the potato and then slips unseen into the museum. That's a heck of a, of a walk, right? Because Eccles Street and the National Museum, they're not exactly well, we, close to one another. Are they? We leave him at the end of Calypso in Eccles Street, and then Lotus Eaters, the fifth episode opens with him already in Westland Row. So we don't really know how he got from point A to point B. Tram, I would assume. Yeah, I would assume. He may have walked, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was he a tram. He could walk it, but it, I think we, yeah. we were in Eccles Street like the last time yeah. we were home, and it was that's a healthy walk. He must have taken the tram. There's no yeah. way he could have walked. Yeah, I think the tram is most likely. Mm. All right, getting back to the actually magical potato, it also protects him from violence, drunkenness, and immorality in Circe, the 15th and most... Um, psychedelic episode of the whole story where a bunch of crazy stuff happens. So in that capacity, it's often likened to the moly herb that Odysseus carries in the Odyssey to resist the witch Circe's magic. Mm. So the potato is kind of functioning like that. It's it's right. you know breaking her spell and allowing him to travel through Nighttown and protecting him against Nighttown's malign influence until it's taken him is taken away by Zoe who is a, a, a prostitute, she takes it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then everything just, like, go, goes haywire for Bloom. Hey, but he gets it back, and then he rescues Stephen. It works! Oh, okay. It's proof. You don't believe me. All right. Early on in Cersei, though, right at the beginning, for instance, uh, the, the potato protects Bloom, too, from being flattened by a passing trolley or tram. Mm -hmm. And thus spake Bloom... On the hands down, insure against street accident too. The providential, he feels his trouser pocket. Poor mama's panacea. Yeah, poor mama's panacea is that potato. Mm. So he is uh, kind of liquored up at this point, and he basically wanders in front of a trolley and is almost run over. Mm. But he feel see he feels his trouser pocket and. He touches the potato and it is delivered from being pancaked by a passing tram. When I left Ireland in the mid-90s, there were no trams, of course. And then sometime in the zeros, they brought in the Lewis, which is the modern version of a tram. And by God, could that thing kill a person? Like you, mm -hmm. it's so quiet. And yeah. I have to constantly remind myself when the tracks are nearby, like stay, stay clear, because it will yeah. just flatten you. Yeah. I have to say, when I read this part, I always think of that little like curvy bit of Lewis track behind Basaris. Yeah. Of, yeah. of, like, waiting for the bus there and watching people run across that in front of the Lewis, so... Yeah, yeah. there's been plenty of collisions. So, anyway, does, does, this, does this convince you? Mm, yeah, it's proof. All right. Clearly within the text. <laughs> yeah, like, within you, the text. We need some scientists to get, yeah. to get working on this, because if there is... <laughs> we need all of the leading potato scientists. We need all the luck <laughs> we can get. All right, let's talk about this phrase, poor mama's panacea. So we learn in Cersei that the potato was given to Bloom by his late mother, Ellen, as a, quote, preservative against plague and pestilence. Bloom informs us in that same episode that, quote, Sir Walter Raleigh brought from the New World that potato, a killer of pestilence by absorption. Which I, I read a lot about potatoes before I wrote all this. And I, I think that Sir Walter Raleigh thing may not be totally true. Oh, that he didn't bring the potatoes? Yeah. That's a myth? Yeah. Mm. It's a, it's a widely believed, but maybe apocryphal story. So many of these stories mm. are, you dig around. Yeah. In Oxen of the Sun, Ulysses' 14th episode, the potato also gets a shout out as, 
quote, spud against the rheumatiz. So, you like that? Yeah. You got a big smile on your face? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in Bloom's era, carrying a dried potato was indeed a folk remedy against rheumatism. Mm. I found a, an excerpt in an 1899 book entitled Plant and Animal Lore by the unfortunately named Fanny Bergen. But she's great. I was reading another thing about her, about Irish funeral customs from the 1890s today. She's, she's good. And she, anyway, in her plant and animal lore book, uh, she wrote the following quote. I have myself known of more than one intelligent person trying, half in jest, half in earnest, this popular charm for the cure of rheumatism. Sometimes the same potato was carried for years in the pocket of a rheumatic person. Naturally, as the potato dries, it grows hard. Many believe this is owing to the absorption of the disease. As the potato becomes stiff and hard, it's supposed the muscles or joints of the sufferer will grow pliable and limber. Bergen was an, an American writer and folklorist. I don't know that Joyce ever read her work, but I, I, this makes me feel that this is a wide enough mm -hmm. existing belief that it, it just he, would have been known. He knew about it. To further back that up, at the Pitts River Museum at the University of Oxford, there is a collection of therapeutic potatoes, which are mainly from the 1890s. I will link there. There is an Atlas Obscure article that shows a bunch of them and goes more into the use of therapeutic potatoes. Again, for rheumatism in that era, you know, spud against the rheumatiz. That seems pretty mm. solid to me. Yep. Bloom's potato matches a lot of these details. It's kind of shriveled and hard. It's all dried out. He's lucky it didn't get moldy. Mm. So his pockets must be pretty dry. He has, in fact, kept it in his pocket for years. And in Circe, he describes it as, quote, a hard, black, shriveled potato. You, you look like you're really enjoying this one. <laughs> it's such a, a, a quirky character trait for, like, one of literature's greatest mm. protagonists, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's this guy who represents all of humanity and like he did a bunch of perverted stuff before you could really write about that and the book was banned because of it and he has a dried potato in his pocket. When I was a kid, I had one of my favorite toys was a spud gun and <laughs> it was, you ever have one? No. Oh, they were great and I had like a little, the nozzle at the end, you'd stick it into a potato and pull it out and then you could shoot little bullets of potato at people oh, that's awful <laughs> and it, I, I had this one potato and it got i kept using the same potato because my mother we were poor my mother didn't want me to be wasting potatoes yeah so i just kept using the same potato and it got to be very strange looking after a while <laughs> like some alien thing yeah so i'm, I'm yeah. kind of have flashbacks to my spud gun. yeah my my father built a potato cannon in his teenage years but it, it shot potatoes mm. and uh that's all I will say about that. Um, let's talk about absorption. So uh, Bergen mentions absorption. Bloom mentions absorption. So we should look at that because we, you know, it's the same word that Bloom uses when he's describing Sir Walter Raleigh's potatoes. Again, quote, a killer of pestilence by absorption. So as I said, yeah, look at this word. Uh, it kind of feels to me like the sort of sciency term that Bloom would be drawn to, you know, something that feels like science, mm -hmm. but maybe has less science than you might think. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he likes feeling sciency even when he's describing a practice totally unsupported by science. Sorry, uh, any true 
believers in Splatology. Thera- therapeutic <laughs> potatoes. There's no indication in Ulysses that Bloom is suffering from rheumatism, but he dutifully carries its remedy anyway. Proof. The fact that he has the potato but doesn't have rheumatism <laughs> yeah. proves that it works. I think it's true that his potato is a panacea and it protects him from a variety of non-specific, mostly non-medical threats such as blazes, boiling, and trolleys. Mm. Like I said, I don't think Bloom has rheumatism. Maybe it's proof or not proof of the, the potato. But let's take a moment to think about what does ail our dear Mr. Bloom. He certainly has his issues. So... Potatoes have been associated with fertility since ancient times when they were grown in the Andes, which is where they came from. The symbolism carried on after potatoes were established as a staple crop in Europe, in part because potatoes are very nutritious, and as a result, population booms tend to follow potato cultivation. And they can also grow on marginal land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you eat a lot of potatoes, you can make a lot of babies. There's a a French aristocrat visited Ireland in the late 1700s or early 1800s and he was amazed by the huge families and he said, how do you support such so many children? And the Irish peasant said, tis the protes, sir. Mm -hmm. So in other words, without the potatoes, Mm -hmm. there wouldn't be these 10 kids running around under the feet. Yeah. yeah. So I think Bloom's potato is in part a pocket-sized fertility totem. Mm. Fertility is something that the Blooms are struggling with. I don't know that Bloom, Mr. Bloom or Mrs. Bloom is physically incapable, but they've kind of stopped having sex since their infant son Rudy died 11 years ago. Bloom's inability to produce a son and heir has become an enormous psychological burden on both him and Molly and is sort of the cause of the rift in their marriage. By sort of, I mean is absolutely the cause of the rift in their marriage. That's a long time to not, uh, you know, engage in one's marital duties. Mm. Or, you know, just enjoy having sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, The potato might then serve as a nagging reminder of Bloom's self-imposed infertility. Uh, We could see it then as an heirloom of his own defeated masculinity. However, I tend to think that rather than absorbing rheumatism from his joints, that perhaps a potato absorbs the guilt, shame, and humiliation that Bloom carries over his perceived inadequacy as a husband and a man, and it provides a comforting shelter from these hard truths of his life. In Circe, back to the, the 15th episode of Ulysses, the potato definitely acts as a fertility totem. Uh, Bloom meets a sex worker named Zoe, she flirts with him, asks about the, quote, hard canker in his trousers. Is that a potato, Mr. Bloom, or are you just happy to see me? I knew you'd go there. Yeah, okay. of course I did. Bloom tells her it's just a potato, and he calls it, quote, a talisman heirloom. She asks if she can have the potato. Bloom gives it to her, and she, quote, she puts the potato greedily into a pocket, then links his arm, cuddling him with supple warmth, and quote, Then pandemonium ensues until Bloom finally asks for the potato to be returned, explaining, quote, it is nothing but still a relic of poor mama. There is a memory attached to it. I should like to have it. And Zoe does give it back. She's a, you know, she's a a sweet girl in her own way. And though Bloom has found himself in a brothel, 
he seems disconnected from and uninterested in the usual sorts of things that go on there, which, you know, you might see as a, a sign of his, his passive nature or his, you know, inability to take revenge against Molly's infidelity, which has already occurred by this point. Mm -hmm. However, it would seem that Bloom's potato takes one for the team here. Uh, Mr. Joyce never met an innu innuendo he didn't love. Uh, so I, I, I see. She puts the potato greedily into a pocket. So think about that. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you thinking about it? Are we paging Dr. Freud? <laughs> Uh, yeah, his little fertility symbol passes from him to Zoe. It is concealed upon her person for a time and then returned in a symbolic sex act. Hmm. So it's a sex potato. Uh, the potato has protected Bloom from danger yet again, betraying, uh, protecting him from betraying Molly physically or from contracting God knows what kind of disease. And by regaining control of his potato and by extension his sexuality, Bloom is able to do one of the most heroic and manly things he does the whole day through, and that is delivering Stephen from evil in Nighttown. Hmm. He gets a punch in the face for smarting off to some soldiers, so Bloom comes and picks him up and dusts him off. All right. Another bit of symbolism tucked into the potato is uh, a link to Bloom's Jewish heritage. Gifford and Seidman wrote a very famous annotation of Ulysses, and their annotation of this line about potato I have says, quote, a talisman symbol symbolic of the continuity of life and, in Jewish tradition, a central dish in the ritual meal after a funeral, which I found very interesting. I could not find any other source for this. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of websites about, you know, funeral meals and... and Jewish funerals and things like that. I just didn't see it. It's completely possible I missed it somewhere, but um, I, I really didn't find another reference to that. So I'm going to turn away from them, and we're going to look at the writings of Hugh Kenner, who's another Joyce scholar, because I really liked his. He sees the potato as a, a mezuzah for Dublin's least observant Jew. Do you know what a mezuzah is? It's the little object uh, over the door of a mm -hmm. Jewish household. Yeah, it's a little rolled up bit of parchment mm -hmm. that's usually put into a, a decorative case. Mm -hmm. the, the parchment contains a text of several verses from Deuteronomy um, and then it's nailed to the doorpost of, of some Jewish homes. Mm -hmm. And we did see a great use of that in Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, yes. Where he used the nail from the cross of from uh, Passion the, of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie, yes, to stand up. Yes. <laughs> People, if you haven't watched that show, mm -hmm. you might enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And you get to see a mezuzah that he's <laughs> hanging up to fool his father into thinking he is a more observ <laughs> observant Jew than he is. So the Blooms don't have one on their door, but Bloom does think about mezuzahs in Nausicaa, which I can't remember what number episode that is. Man, I am slacking off tonight. Uh, he confuses it with another um, religious item called tefillin, and he says, quote, And the tefillin, no, what's this they call it? Poor Papa's father had it on his door to touch. That brought us out of the land of Egypt and into the house of bondage. Something in all those superstitions, because when you go out, never know what dangers. Mm -hmm. So 
Traditionally, um, Jewish people will touch the mezuzah as they cross over the threshold of their home. And notice, when does Bloom touches potato okay. in Calypso right. as he's crossing over the threshold? Yeah. I, I love this. This is like one of my favorite potato theories. Yeah. I remember reading this and just, is it one of the, I talk about like the light bulb moments where I really get something. Yeah. This is one of those. So we learn then that while Bloom has sort of a scientific analytical mind, more so than Stephen, he is not totally averse to superstitions. He is far too a-religious to attach a mezuzah to his door or to even really remember what it's called mm -hmm. and doesn't seek a, a blessing from a higher power that it might offer. But again, while he forgets his latch key, very important, he does remember to carry the potato and instinctively touches it for whatever magical protection it might bestow, like someone who's in the habit of tapping the mezuzah at their door as they walk through. Mm. What else do potatoes do? Um, so Bloom is Jewish. He's also Irish. So let's talk about the connection of um, potatoes and, and Ireland's history. So um, potatoes historically have sometimes had a kind of bad rap. We all love potatoes now. We had potatoes as part of our dinner tonight. Um, I mean, who doesn't love a potato? Well, the answer to that is Scottish Presbyterians. They often don't like things. Uh, they felt when potatoes were first being introduced that they were just a little bit too blasphemous. There, there was some suspicion of them already because they're a member of the Deadly Nightshade family. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've met people like in the 21st century who wouldn't eat eggplant because they said it's a, a Deadly Nightshade. People just have to see the word and it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Scottish Presbyterians initially refused to grow or eat potatoes because they are not mentioned in the Bible, uh, but a few lean years eventually changed their minds. Oh, yeah. As the cultivation of potatoes became widespread in Europe, potatoes sort of became simply dismissed as a peasant food. They went from fertility symbol to kind of the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. European Jews also turned to potatoes in times of need during food shortages throughout the 19th century, and in some cases consumed potatoes at a higher rate than Gentile populations. So even though potatoes were viewed as a very lowly food, uh, European Jews already occupied such a low social position that maybe it didn't matter, and thus they were able to embrace the potato. And these are kind of qualities that they shared with the Irish. Hmm. The lowly status of the potato also has a sort of religious component because the more expensive wheat can be baked into bread, which can then be consecrated and transubstantiated into the body of Christ through the ritual of the Catholic Mass. Potato, however, is unable to share such an exalted position and thus metaphysically remains a meal fit only for a peasant. Got a little snobbery. Yeah, it's, it's weird and, and unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Bloom is not immune to potato prejudice. His thoughts as reveal this as he considers Stephen's very unfortunate sister Dilly in Lestragonians. In, as he imagines her subsisting on a diet of potatoes and marge, marge and potatoes. By marge, does he? What does he mean by marge? Like margarine. Margarine. Did they have it back then? Is I, I believe that's what it was. I thought margarine was made during World War II, but maybe it was older than. Yeah, it's if horrible. Can, if you give me a second, I can look it up. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. oh, ghastly stuff? First, so we're on the Wikipedia for margarine right now. It says first made in France in 1869. Okay. So. I think it would, 
it would be, yeah, I think we could assume that, that Dilly's not getting butter, she's getting margarine, and yep. it's not as good. No, it's awful stuff. We used to have it as kids when we were, like, really stretched for money, and, um, no, it was foul. Um, I feel sorry for anyone having to eat it, and I think during World War II, that's when it was very, like, widely used, because they just put rationing, they couldn't, not everyone having the butter. Mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So... We see that Bloom definitely thinks of potatoes as something that poor people eat. However, it wasn't only the poorest Dubliners who ate potatoes because they're really delicious. Bloom, while he is in the Burton restaurant, before he is driven out in disgust by the messy patrons, he does hear an order for roasted and mash. Later in Sirens, Bloom himself orders but does not eat his own mashed potatoes. Uh, quote, in liver, gravy, bloom, mashed, mashed potatoes. So the, Bur the Burton restaurant and the Ormond Hotel are, you know, pretty far ahead of, like, the Mouan Civet that Stephen remembers eating in Paris. Mm -hmm. These are restaurants where middle-class people like Bloom would dine on creamy, delicious, appetizing mashed potatoes. So with butter, mm -hmm. not margarine. As we mentioned previously, and you already know, listener, the potato has a pretty big role in I Ireland's history. It was a staple crop for a long time. And uh, prior to the, the famine of the 1840s, the potato was not just a staple crop of the Irish peasant, but it was the only crop that tenant farmers grew. So this wasn't just because or because they were bad at farming or, you know, anything like that. This monoculture was actually mandated by the colonial government in part because potatoes are exceptionally nutritious and fairly cheap to grow. And growing potatoes meant that tenant farmers could produce higher yields for less money. And this larger output meant that landlords could raise their rents as well. Good for them. Um, and when a, yeah, would a blight, you know, ravage the crops, you know, that's one reason the famine was so devastating was that Potatoes were the only crop that was being grown throughout much of Ireland and was one of the only things that these, you know, tenant farmers had to eat. So the nutrient-rich potato that had sustained the Irish economy and a growing population was also the cause of massive depopulation due to both starvation and immigration in the 19th century. And the potato then becomes a symbol of betrayal and as well as the famine. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to know more about the Great Famine, I would recommend checking out the Irish History Podcast. He did, like, I think close to 30 episodes on the, the Great Famine, and they're really, really well done. Um, you have to space them out because it's, it's a miserable story, but you will learn everything and more you ever wanted to know about that period of history. The Irish History Podcast. Check it out. So... There is some cognitive dissonance then to carrying a potato as a protector against pestilence in a country that was devastated in living memory by potato blight and famine, by pestilence, right? Remember, Mr. Deasy told Stephen straight out, quote, I remember the famine. Mm -hmm. Bloom's mother, Ellen, because Bloom is almost 40, so his mother would, you know, were she still alive, would have been old enough to remember the famine. So we, we can assume... Ellen Bloom would have been alive during the famine as well, right? Like the distance in years between 1904 and the worst of the famine, well, I wrote this in 2020, but 
uh, it's a similar distance between 2020 and the Kennedy assassination, to put it kind of in American terms. Right. Plenty of people still remember it. Plenty of people still remember it. Bloom's generation are the, the children of famine survivors, mm. so it's likely his heirloom potato may have held a different significance for his mother. It's also worth noting that his potato is described as shriveled and black, because if you go on Atlas Obscura and look at those pictures of the therapeutic potatoes that Oxford has. Um, they're very shriveled. They tend to shrivel as they dry out because all the moisture is going away, but they didn't really turn black. However, the potatoes that were destroyed by blight in the 1840s did turn black and rotten. Mm. So a black potato, to me, seems like a stronger connection to the famine right. rather than just a rheumatism cure. So it's possible, this is all kind of just speculation at this point, it's possible maybe that Ellen Bloom carried the potato as not only a panacea, but also as a sort of grim memento mori of the famine years, or maybe as a symbol of the survival of the Irish people despite so much hardship. Um, or perhaps it's just a protector against another famine. Bloom, Leopold Bloom, in any case, has a much more sentimental attachment to his uh, desiccated talisman. Quote, he says, quote, it is nothing but still a relic of poor mama. He says that in Circe. There is a memory attached to it. I should like to have it. So when he's asking Zoe to give it back to him, he, he just says it's, it's a sentimental thing. It reminds me of my mother. Interesting use of the word relic here. What, what is a relic? Yeah, it's a, f a fragment of a saint's body, bone mm -hmm. or finger bone or... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they usually have some kind of curative power. Mm -hmm. um, so Bloom's relic, you know, has curative powers. Is it part of a body? I mean, it might symbolize that a little bit. I don't know specifically what part it would be. Mm. But, it, you know, it's a relic of the memory of his mother. So, um, but it's kind of a sanitized relic. Um, it... I would say lacks spiritual potency, but it's very rich in memory. Um, maybe the potato could be a relic of the body of Mother Ireland. I think for Bloom, it just kind of reminds him of mom. Mm. He obviously misses his mother. Um, and grappling with that grim reality of the nightmare of history may be the only way to break free from its influence, though neither Bloom nor Stephen really accomplished this. Right, so if they really take on what that potato symbolizes, I don't, I don't think they really break free from the larger reality of history and and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but on a microcosmic level, uh, I think in Bloom's marriage and that particular nightmare, if if he were able to directly address and work through with Molly the the problem that they're having, um, the the unhealed grief that they they feel about their son. That would be a way of, of healing their relationship. But again, that, that does not happen in Ulysses. So, the potato. Lowly, humble, and unassuming. Not all that different from Mr. Bloom in some ways. It's dismissed as kind of common. It's brushed aside by the fancy people. But it does have deeper qualities. And it kind of makes it the glue that holds society together. Right? The potatoes' am ancestors, like Bloom's, came from abroad and made a home in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's fitting that our sort of Irish, Jewish, every man should use a potato as his mezuzah, right? 
Uh, and while it can occupy lofty symbolic perches throughout Ulysses, to Bloom, the potato is just a personal symbol rather than some great cultural icon. And whether or not it holds any curative powers or can absorb the nightmare of history or is a magic potato, it represents to Bloom something that even children can understand and that Stephen agonizes over in Nestor, Amor Matrice, or A Mother's Love. Hmm. The end. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, makes sense. Do you have any more potato thoughts? No. Are you going to think about this the next time we eat potatoes? Probably. <laughs> yeah, th there's, there's, a there's a lot to it. Oh, it amazes me that such a simple plant can mm -hmm. completely alter the course of human history. Yeah. And, you know, people take them for granted. And mm -hmm. if, if you took them out of the food chain even now, we'd probably have serious problems. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Wikipedia entry for the potato and look at all the nutrients in it, it's pretty staggering. It kicks rice's ass. Like, rice is great, <laughs> but potatoes just, oh. they have all kinds of nutrients that, that rice just mm -hmm. doesn't have. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so you're, you're missing all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. If you, and the Irish peasants are those mm -hmm. pre-famine. They would eat 7 to 15 pounds of potatoes a day per person. It's mm -hmm. a staggering diet. Are you... Have you ever heard of a, I guess, a newspaper column? It's like a syndicated column called The Straight Dope. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who hasn't, it's, it's this guy named uh, Cecil Adams, I believe is, is his name. I don't know if he's still going or not, but I really enjoyed reading it when I was in college. And he basically, people would ask him incredibly hard questions and then he would answer them. Yeah. And my favorite straight dope ever, which is in the show notes, you can find it at our website. Someone asked him, is it true that Irish peasants really did eat only potatoes? And he worked out like all the nutrients the human body needs to function. And he said like, you can get pretty much all of those by eating potatoes and drinking milk, mm. except for, I think it was molybdenum. Yep. And he said, for that or some other obscure thing that like you've never heard of and he said you can get that from oatmeal mm -hmm. so as long as you yep. incorporate some oatmeal in your diet you can live on potatoes yeah you can live on marge and potatoes yep. well the marge has no i don't think has any actual milk in it like it's just like coagulated oil it's some oily horror yeah yeah <laughs> some oily horror yeah so um not recommended though mm-hmm like uh people have tried isn't one yeah. of the guys uh, the irish podcast guys uh, yeah tried it was it? Finn, finn dwyer again from yeah. the irish history, history podcast, podcast yeah. he didn't did, like it <laughs> he attempted to live i think for a full day on a traditional diet you you can find that also um i will link his show as well because it's fantastic yeah um but uh and they would have had they rough. weren't they weren't they weren't fools like they would have had yeah. access to rivers they knew how to they could have fished some if they were careful, but mm -hmm. I couldn't go for poaching. They knew that, you know, you can, like my mother knew, you can make soup out of nettles. There's all kinds of other turnips, all kinds of other root vegetables mm -hmm. they would have had access to to augment that. But if that was all you were eating, you would starve. Like you had to have potatoes mm -hmm. as the foundation. And then yeah. on, on top of that, you'd add whatever bits and bobs you could pinch. Yeah, the 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 Irish famine in the 1840s was caused by economics. And mm -hmm. honestly, like yeah. that that's... I'm not going to say anything more about that because we're at the end of our show here. But yep. uh, go check out the Irish History Podcast. That's no, very hope, good. Yeah. I hope he appreciates all the free advertising I'm sending him. 
is a really good show, you guys, and much shorter than ours and much more professional. <laughs> so uh, he never references The Simpsons at all. Mm. Um, and uh, he has better sound design than us. Well, yeah, he has professional people doing <laughs> yeah. follies and actors and all, all right. that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to leave it there and we'll see you again in two weeks. All Have right. a good one. Bye. Enjoy some potatoes. Thanks for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Your support means the world to us. You can subscribe to Blooms and Barnacles on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place you listen to podcasts. You can also stream our episodes at our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, you can do one of three things to help support us. Number one, please donate at bloomsandbarnacles.com. The PayPal donate button is at the upper right-hand corner of the page. This helps us pay for coffee and for hosting fees. Two, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. This helps more people find our show. And three, share us with a friend who you think would enjoy Blooms and Barnacles. Blooms and Barnacles is also a blog. We post new articles and original artwork semi-regularly at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Never miss an update by following us on social media. Search for our group Blooms and Barnacles Podcast on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at BarnacleCast. You can also send us an email at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. We met some of our favorite podcast friends through random emails and social media DMs. We'd love to hear from you too, so don't be afraid to shoot us a message anytime. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks. Bye for now.